And good morning. Again, I want to welcome all the guests who are with us today. Maybe you're driving through town. If you're looking for a church family, we would love to have you here with us to get to know you better, to join in the mission of God together. For whatever reason you're here, I pray that God will just touch down in your heart today in some kind of way. I want to welcome those who are watching online, whether they're on vacation or in the hospitals or at home. Uh, Welcome to our worship service today. Uh, how many of you came to church just for that last song we just sung? Could we have a, just a show of hands? How many of you needed that maybe in your life today? I remember when I first heard that song, I was, I remember vividly, I was driving down I-40 in Arkansas in 2013. I was, remember I was driving to the Little Rock uh, airport and that song came on and I was just so overwhelmed because I was wrestling with some of my own brokenness and wounds and scars of my own life and I broke down. I'm driving on I-40, and I am crying. And uh, I could tell semi-truck drivers, I mean, they're looking at me, and I could tell they were judging me, all right? And they're like, that is what's wrong with America today, grown men driving on the interstate crying, you know? Uh, and I had to pull over, like, to get my, just to gain my composure again, but just so moved by, by the presence of God that meets us right where we are. I hope those of you who traveled this past week for spring break had a great time. Uh, my family, we put about 1,700 miles on our cars. We drove all the way out to Lubbock, and then we went camping close to Amarillo. Uh, Casey's parents love to camp, but I am in a family where myself, my wife, and my two boys are city to the core. Like, we are urban. God has given me the gift inside of He has placed something inside of me that when I get outside of a 15-mile radius of a barbecue spot or a Chick-fil-A, something starts going off in me that something in life is not right. I like noise. I like population. I like to be close to things. And sleeping in a camper while I have to walk out of the camper and go to the restroom is not my thing, all right? I like I like campfires, but I prefer campfires outside of Hampton Inn and Suites. That's how I like to camp, all right? Uh, and while we're camping out uh, close to Paladier Canyon, it's beautiful out there. It's its own kind of beauty. You've heard me talk before about driving out to West Texas. It's so flat. You can watch your dog run away for like 10 days, right? So um, if you go to that, while we were hiking, uh, one day we decided to hike. Uh, and my boys saw this cliff, and they're like, Dad, we want to go climb that. You can see them pointing up to that cliff. It's four miles up in the air, all right? Just trust me. Uh, uh, maybe not that high, but we, they wanted to get up to that cliff. So I was like, man, it's, yes, we're going to do it, because I'm preaching a sermon series right now called Risk, and as a family, we're going to live into the sermons that I'm preaching on Sunday. So we, we start on this journey, but there were not any paths up to this cliff. I don't hike. I don't camp. But I didn't want my boys to know that, right? So I'm like trying to channel all of my Bear grills and the times I've watched Survivor. So we're forming our own path. And we get halfway up and Casey and the boys are like, there's not a path. And this is where I took a moment for this to be a teachable moment for my family. So I turned around to my boys and I was like, this is what Rosses do. We blaze our own trail in life, all right? <laughs> When the world says go left, we go right. When the world says go right, we go left, all right? We're followers of Jesus. It's an upside-down kingdom. And my boys are, like, staring at me, and Casey has her hand over her mouth, and she's laughing. <laughs> Josh, way too serious for this moment. Uh, and, and we get all the way to the top. If you go to that next one, this is us climbing up. I was so proud of my boys. Little Noah is seven years old, and I would just hear him following me the whole way he was going, risk, risk. <laughs> risk. <laughs> He's like, Dad, it's creeping me out right now. 
the risk. If you go to that next one, we got all the way to the top, took this picture. That's my boys. That's me, your preacher, with the hat on backwards. Because if you climb and you aren't supposed to climb like me, you can dress however you want when you get to the top, all right? Uh, We're in this series called Risk. I've been in it for three weeks, and you may be thinking, if faith is about climbing stuff like that, I don't want anything to do with it. Risk takes on a lot of different forms. It's about adventure. Uh, and we started this year in a series called Grow, what it means and, and how God invites and expects growth in our lives, development and maturity. And if you want to hear those, you can jump on our podcast and check them out. And now this is the third week in a series called Risk. Let me tell you how the next few weeks are going to go leading up to Easter, which is about a month away. Uh, this risk, risk series is taking us all the way up to that point. Easter weekend, let me just make you aware of a couple of things. You may want to put this on your calendar, write these down, give you a few events to invite friends to. Easter weekend for us, Friday, uh, is not just a good Friday service. We're going to have a path to the cross. Maybe you've taken part before, like a stations of the cross, but that day you'll be able to come up here at your own pace with your family, life groups, Bible classes, however you want to do it. We're going to have a path to the cross where you will be able to go to different stations for prayer and reflection. And then that night, we're going to have a Good Friday service. Easter Sunday morning, we are going to have a 6.30 sunrise service. Preferably, weather permitting, we're going to do that outside in our amphitheater. Some of you didn't even know we had one. Uh, some of you right now are already thinking, yeah, 6.30 in the morning, I'm out. Some of you are thinking, I think I may be in. Some of you are thinking, I may wait to know what mom's cooking for Easter lunch to know if I'm going to make it to the 6.30 or not. But we're going to have a 6.30 sunrise service. Uh, what, and that Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate risk. And then the next couple of Sundays after that, we're, as a church, we're going to participate in what it means to, to risk. It's going to be really practical. So beginning next week, you're going to hear us talking about the 901 offering, which is an offering we take up every spring for some 901 efforts. So we're going to keep our hand connected to the checks that we give. That Sunday uh, after Easter, April 23rd, we're also going to have a church-wide potluck. So we're going to be able to celebrate together with some of the efforts that we support. And then that following Sunday, uh, April 30th, we're going to have a Restore Day. So we'll come here, have a worship service as we always do. And after worship, we will go out and engage in a lot of different service projects. So that's, uh, I would love for you to be there and to invite people to join us for those days. Uh, Today, I want to be in Acts chapter 13 and 14. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to that place. And what I want to do today is I want to help convince people and invite you to understand um, that God doesn't only want you to believe in God. God wants you to know God believes in you. I, I want people to understand that in life and especially in our culture, it becomes so easy for us to settle for mediocrity instead of striving for God's best. And it becomes really easy for the church to settle for mediocrity than to strive for something better. Risky living means there may be sacrifice. Because the reality that has hit me over the last couple of weeks is that you may never be asked to die for someone in your entire life. You may never be asked to die for someone, but you are daily asked by God to sacrifice for someone. To take some kind of risk in your life. Because the thing today is there are so many people gathered in churches all over the world who they want to step into the waves of grace, but they want to keep a hand on the edge of the pool as they do. They want to step into the waves of God's mercy, but they want one foot to stay at the bottom of the pool when God is inviting us to, hey, let go, 
trust God and go. Just go with God wherever he's leading you. Uh, So in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, it starts like this. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod, the ruler, and Saul. Now, before you even go to verse 2, right there in verse 1, what what Luke, who is writing Acts, wants you to know is that at this point, the church has already become integrated and diverse. That's a diverse group of people he just named. The church is made up of more people than just that. He names people to let you know at this point, there's Jews and Gentiles. There's people with power and there's people who don't have power in the eyes of the world. And God has called them into the same community. In the book of Acts, the church, people are not called Christians until Acts chapter 11, which is when the church was first integrated. The church was not, the the word Christian doesn't show up until the church was integrated where races and nationalities and ethnicities have come together as one. (coughs) Excuse me, verse two, here's what happens. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. What do you see as the church worships there? There's anticipation. There's prayer. There's fasting. There's seeking after God. There's listening to God. There's this waiting that the church is doing. Is that it, The church is waiting for the Spirit of God to give them fresh direction. You get the sense that the church is together giving up things that they love and depend on the most is they're hungering and craving, craving after God, asking God, what do you want of us? What do you want us to do? What do you want us to be about? Now, you could go home today, to this week, you could pray and fast, and you may not have the Spirit of God give you fresh direction and great insight. You may leave with just an awareness of the presence of God. But when we come before the Lord seeking and anticipating and waiting and desperate to hear a word, God does not desire to ignore His people. God's going to deliver in some kind of way. And here they come together and they're fasting and praying and seeking and anticipating and the Spirit gives them a fresh word. Has this ever happened in your life? Like have you practiced what it means to wait on God, to seek God, anticipate God, hungering for a word? There, there are times in my life, and this doesn't happen anytime, every time I've come before the Lord, but there have been times where I've come before the Lord because I realize in my life there's been maybe a spirit of mediocrity that has settled in, a, a, a form of complacency that has taken over me. Uh, I, a few years ago, I told you a time, uh, Casey and I had been married a few years, and uh, I, I was in one of these seasons where I just felt like mediocrity had taken over me. I wasn't hungering and craving God, and I had a season of prayer and fasting and just laying before the Lord one afternoon, just crying out to God, what do you want of me? Wake me up from my slumber. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And I felt this clear word come into my heart, this strong conviction of, Josh, I want you to take your laundry today and go do laundry in a laundromat. Now, at that time of my life, I did not do laundry. Casey did our laundry. And if you've ever been in a season where you're trying to listen to the Lord, you begin wrestling with, well, is that just the thought I have or is that the Spirit of God talking to me? Is it me or is it just what I would like for God to say to me? And I kind of went through that, but there's just this strong conviction that day. Get your laundry, go to a laundromat. We had a washer and dryer in our house. This didn't make sense to me. But I thought, well, if the Lord is asking me to do something and I'm going to look like a fool in the eyes of the world doing what I don't think I should be doing, which doesn't make sense, I'm going to go out being a fool in the eyes of the world to be obedient to God. 
So I got some quarters. I didn't really know like how to separate lights and darts and towels. I just put it all together in one basket. And as I'm walking outside, Casey comes home from work and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, man, now I have to explain to to Casey what I feel like God is telling me. And I'm like, baby, I feel like the Lord is asking me to go do laundry in a laundromat today. And I think she even touched my forehead to see if I was running fever or something. And, And she was like, well, let me at least help you to separate this the way it should. You know, lights here, darts here. And driving all the way there, I was like, man, maybe I shouldn't do this. This is just, I'm a wacko. And I got all the way there, pop quarters in the washer, and I'm like, what am I here for, God? There were two women who were in there doing laundry. One was on one side of the place, the other was on the other. And I was like, well, maybe I'm supposed to talk to these women and see how the conversation goes. So I tried to engage them in conversations. Uh, but then I learned that when people are in a laundromat folding their clothes, they don't really want to talk to a strange man who wants to talk to them. So I just sat there praying and I guess waiting on the Lord. And I looked up and pulling into the parking lot was a woman from our church who had just gone through a divorce, who had a son who had been caught up in drugs, alcohol, just got his girlfriend pregnant. This woman I knew was kind of just going through this season of her life of wounds and scars and brokenness. And here she comes walking in with the laundry basket. And we sat there together as clothes are in the washer and in the dryer. And if you've been to laundromats, you know you have to dry it for hours, right? Just talking about faith and suffering and pain and where is God when things don't seem to be going right. And we were able to pray together and I was able to bless her and... uh, Praise God, a week later, her son gave his life to the Lord. And it's hard for me to experience that and not think how God orchestrated this stuff. And I don't know what God would have done or who else God would have sent into her life or how else God would have worked, but I know that day God was trying to awaken me to take a risk to follow him wherever it may go. Now today for you, it may not be God calling you to go do your laundry in a laundromat. It may be God calling you to do something big, to adopt, to take in an orphan, to do something what people would think is crazy for the Lord. Or it may be God awakening you to love a neighbor, to know a neighbor, to talk to somebody. In Acts chapter 13, they're seeking after the Lord. The Lord gives them a word and they're going to follow. Now, I want to walk you through four cities from Paul's first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14. And here are the themes you're going to see. So I have a lot of teaching I need to do. I want to do it quickly. And so pay attention in your Bibles. Focus on the screen. I want you to go and maybe um, look, at, look at some of these stories later. In these four cities that you see Paul go to, here are the themes you're going to see. There's going to be an opportunity for the advancement of the gospel. Every place Paul and Barnabas go, there's going to be an opportunity for the advancement of the gospel, places for them to speak and to teach and to declare the wonders of God. Number two, every place they go, there's going to be opposition to the gospel. Because wherever there are opportunities for the gospel to advance, there's opposition. Don't be fearful when you experience opposition to the gospel in your lives because that's what happens. The enemy doesn't like the gospel advancing. And the gospel needs to go into enemy territory. And when the gospel goes into enemy territory, the enemy is going to fight back. Even though he knows that he's lost because of death, burial, and resurrection, he's going to fight back. There's going to be opposition. Thirdly, what you're going to see in each story is there's a form of mission. And that mission is going to take on forms of preaching and teaching. There are going to be demonstrations of power. There are going to be miracles. So you're going to have opportunity, opposition, and mission. And there are also highs and lows in every story. 
moments where it seems like the gospel is advancing and nothing can stop it, and moments when it seems like there's too much opposition, will the gospel keep advancing? Let me speak in the highs and lows just for a moment. Uh, I, I know people who are clinically depressed. Some of you may be. I've never been. I've never had to be on medication for depression. I'm close to people who have. And there have been a couple of conversations I've had with people who have really struggled with medication. Medication has side effects, so they've had to try to find the right medication to use for their depression. I was speaking with someone not too long ago, and what this person said was the medicine they were taking took away the lows, the despair, the hopelessness. But that medication also took away the highs, the joy, the excitement in life. And they described themselves as cattle out in the field who aren't running anywhere and they're also not sitting. They're just kind of roaming, chewing grass. There doesn't seem to be much joy or life in them. All right, and I'm afraid that too often describes the church in our culture where the church, we're not in despair, we're not hopeless, but there also aren't these highs of this anticipation that God can still do more than we could ever ask or imagine. All right, so here's how it goes. Look in chapter uh, 13, verse 4, in Cyprus. There's this opportunity for the advancement of the gospel. They come in, they're teaching in the synagogue, they take the gospel all over that island, and there's even a person who knows magic. Apparently, it's a famous person with magic. He has two names, as you read verse 4 through 7. There are two names for this guy. So the gospel is advancing. And verse 8, the famous guy with magic turns on him. And he's trying to convince rulers and other people not to listen to the message that Paul has given them. Now pay attention to verse 9 through 12, especially verse 9, because at this time he still saw, saw it says he looked intently. I want you to underline, circle, highlight that phrase, look intently. You could go back to the gospel. Sometimes Jesus looks intently at people. Uh, later on in Acts 14, you're going to see Paul do this again where he looks intently at someone. This phrase, look intently, is looking at someone, but it's looking inside of someone. So, uh, uh, God help me say this in a way that makes sense. It's looking inside of someone, being sensitive to the Lord, so you know what needs to be spoken over and into this person's life. So it's looking intently at who this person is, but God, help me to look inside of them, even if I don't want to see what is inside. And may I be sensitive to the Spirit to know what is the word I need to declare over this person. So Paul is looking intently at this person, being sensitive to the Lord to know what he needs to speak. And as he speaks this word over this person, the word performs because it's a word that came from God. The word prophecy doesn't show up, but this is prophecy. I think this is prophecy at its best. The prophecy isn't telling the future as much as promise. prophecy is truth-telling right now. What is God speaking truth over? And how can we be faithful to speak that truth? Uh, some of you may have grown up in church traditions where the, the whole idea of prophecy is just so foreign that, that it doesn't make sense. I've been hurt by prophecy before. Uh, specifically, when my sister died seven years ago, we, um, there were people who would leave voice messages with me who had the best intentions in the world, but their voice messages were that they had received a vision from God that Jenny would be healed, so I had no reason to be afraid. There were faith healers who came up to the hospital, people we didn't even know, 
who would come in the waiting room and they would pray with their hands, reaching out to where they knew that my sister was back there with other sick people. And then they would leave us with a smile on their face saying, we have named it, we have claimed it, your sister will be healed, your daughter will be healed, no need to be afraid. I've been heard by prophecy before, but I've also been so blessed by prophecy before, multiple times. When things happened and people spoke truth over me, that it was, it was a miracle of God how it happened. Early on in my ministry, I was in a room with other ministers. And it was just a time of enrichment. And uh, a guy who was leading that retreat brought in another man. His name was Toby. Toby and I had never met. We didn't know each other. We didn't know about each other. And he was speaking to us, a whole group of young ministers. And halfway through, he looked at me and he said, everyone else, I need to focus on this young man right here. And he started naming things from my past, telling me things I have done and what God was bringing me through. And he started giving me hope and speaking words of redemption over me. And then he just went on talking to everyone else. And when Toby finished, he left and we were going to supposed to go on to another exercise. I chased Toby down in the parking lot and I turned his shoulders where he was facing me. And I said, how did you know that stuff? How did you know things about me? And he said, as I was speaking to this group, I just felt like the Lord kept bringing me back to you. And it was like the Lord was saying, that young man sitting right over there, that was you 20 years ago. And I want you to speak the truth in him that you have learned from God. And and things will happen in our lives. If we focus, even in this worship service, let's look intently at each other. And as we do, with all the love in our hearts, trusting that somehow, some way, God's going to speak a word of clarity and truth over us. Paul did it, and he was bold, and he was faithful with the word that he spoke. There's opportunity, there was opposition, and then there was mission, and there was power. And then they move on to Antioch. And when they went to Antioch, you can read it, verse 13 through 15, there's opportunity for the gospel. They went into a synagogue. Every place Paul went, he kept going into Jewish synagogues, even though he knew God was calling him to go to be with the Gentiles. He went to be with the, uh, in the synagogue. And while he was there, they said, hey, do you guys have a sermon you want to preach? I don't know if it was something Paul and Barnabas were wearing to let them know that they, uh, they were people who had a word from God, but whatever it was, they, hey, do you have a word? And Paul, from verse 16 all the way through 41, preaches this amazing sermon. It's one of, if not the longest sermon Paul preaches in the book of Acts. And I want you to see, go home later and read it, how Paul tells the story of God, because that's what he does. He retells Old Testament stories And he makes it known that all of this happened because it points to Jesus. This is the best way for you to read the Bible. I want people reading the Bible, but I, I, I think how you read the Bible is just as important as what you read. That if we read the Bible just to have answers to prove other people wrong, I don't know if that's the best way to read the Bible. To read the Bible, to want to know Jesus and to know the heart of God and what he wants from us and what he wants for the church, I think is the best way to read the Bible. All right, C.S. Lewis once said this. C.S. Lewis said, here's the difference between Christianity and Islam. Is that Islam is a man who is pointing to a book. Muhammad who is pointing to the Koran. But Christianity at its best is about a book that points to a man. And if we're not careful, what we do with the Bible is we think Jesus is pointing to the Bible when it's the Bible pointing us to Jesus. In John 5, 39, Jesus says this about himself. Jesus says, you all are searching the scripture because you think in that you find eternal life, but it's in me that eternal life is given. 
Scripture points you to God. Bible points you to God. And that's how Saul, this, that's how Paul tells the story. Here's what is happening in the life of God. And it's pointing to Jesus, who is bringing Jews and Gentiles into his salvation. And then what you read in verse 42 and 43 is there's more opportunity. People were so excited by the message Paul preached to them. They're like, hey, we want you to come back next week and do more of this. So they did. There was more opportunity for the gospel. But in verse 44, there's opposition. And the opposition was Jews came in and they become really jealous. Probably jealous because no one had asked them to come back the next week because they were so uh, excited about the message. So they're jealous, but their jealousy led Paul to have even more boldness and to declare to them the truth of Jesus and to let them know, that, okay, from now on, we're going to the Gentiles because this is what God's doing. It's where he's going. We're following him there. And then there's more opposition. In verse 50, what happens in the opposition is they get the leading women of the city to lead the movement because even then they knew if you want a movement to gain traction and to be organized and to work, you get the leading women involved to make it happen. Can I get an amen from somebody in the room, right? All right, so, so it happens, verse 52, they leave with great joy. They go to Iconium. In chapter 14, verse 1, what it says is pretty much the same thing happened there. Luke's letting you know that this same rhythm is happening in every city. In verse 1, they go, they preach, people are giving their lives to Jesus. Verse 2, there's opposition. And the opposition is that uh, they, the Jews come in and they are poisoning the minds of Gentiles. But verse 3 of chapter 14, look closely at this. What happens is Paul and Barnabas, they invest even more in that city. They don't run away. They invest more. They invest, they preach, they teach. There are demonstrations of power and miracles. And that is followed by more opposition. Where this time there were plots for their lives. Like people are plotting. Okay, we don't just want to kick these guys out of our city. We want to destroy them. They're calling hitmen to take them out. So they leave Iconium. They go to Lystra. When they get to Lystra in verse 8 and 10, the first thing Paul does that we read about is not teach or preach. It's demonstration of God's power. There's a man who can't walk. And again, what you have, Paul, is he looks intently at the man, looking at the man, being sensitive to the Spirit of God and what the Spirit of God wants to do. The man is healed. And when this man is healed, there is this response from the city, and the response is Paul and Barnabas are gods, and they begin to worship them. They're, they're worshiping, singing songs, bowing down. They think these guys are like Zeus. And Paul's like, man, it's not us. But for people living in that town, you perform miracles. Either you are a God or of a God or you're of a demon. And if you're claiming not to be God, it means you must be on the other side. And then there's more opposition. And the opposition in Lystra is the Jews come from Antioch and they come from Iconium, and they start rallying the troops, and this time Paul's actually stoned. They're throwing so many rocks at him, they think he's dead. And then they go on to Derby. The church gets together in Derby. And I want you to reflect back the four cities Paul just went to. If you go to that next slide, here's what's just happened. All right, in Cyprus, there's a man who performed magic who opposed them. In Antioch, there are people who were jealous and bitter, and there was rage. In Iconium, there were threats for their lives. In Lystra, they actually did try to take their lives. Paul was stoned, not the kind of stone in like Colorado, but the kind of stone where people are like throwing rocks at you, right? Like he was, they thought he was dead. All right, 
if those things happen to you on a mission trip, are you going to go back? And Paul and Barnabas, they sit with the church in Derby, and it's like they're reflecting back. I can just see them sitting around talking about the power of God and what God has done. And then they start talking about all these wounds and scars. Can you imagine Paul just lifting up his arms in that moment? Hey, here's the mission trip I've been on. In some places, I was an emotional wreck. In other places, look at all these scars and these wounds. And this is a lesson God started teaching me many years ago about scars and wounds is that scars are healed wounds. And we have a lot of people in this church today with wounds and a lot of people with scars, physical scars, emotional scars, social scars. That church was made up of a lot of people who have been wounded, hurt, bandaged up in every kind of way. And they came together as this church knowing that every scar we bear, God's not going to waste a scar in our lives. Every scar tells a story. And it tells a story of God's faithfulness. Uh, When we get to heaven one day, when heaven comes to us, when God makes all things right, Jesus is going to have scars because those scars tell a story of God's redemption. I bet Paul's going to roll up his sleeves and be able to show you, hey, this is from the shipwreck. This over here is that time I got stoned over in Lystra. The people of God I want to follow and learn from are people who have some wounds and some scars because they've been in the fight and they keep running into the fight with God and for God. And the church came together and here's what I want, here's what I want you to see. After all that happened, here's what you read in verse 21. After they had proclaimed the good news to that city in Derby and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. They went right back to those same places. And there they strengthened the souls of the disciples and they encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying it's through many persecutions that we must enter the kingdom of God. They are declaring by their own lives and what they're declaring in churches is Jesus is over the church, for the church, under the church, with the church, empowering the church, sending the Spirit of God into the church and to people to equip them, guide them, warn them, encourage them, invite them, implore them. And then verse 23, after they had appointed elders in all those places and all those churches with prayer and fasting, they entrusted them to the Lord in whom they had come to believe. Paul's first missionary journey began and it ended with people who are laying hands on each other, entrusting people to the grace of God, empowering one another for a journey, encouraging one another on in faithfulness. So this morning I thought, Why don't we honor the text today? And as we send, and if you will, for those praying this morning, for elders who are receiving people, will you go to where you are? And maybe what you need today is for a leader in this church, for one of our prayer leaders. What you may need is somewhere to go just to be encouraged in the grace of God. That whatever you're going through, wherever you've been, God is inviting you into a greater mission. And the mission sends us into enemy territory. It sends us into places where sometimes it's not real comfortable to go. But what you learn from Acts 13 and 14 is the gospel is unstoppable. Nothing can stop it. It keeps going. It keeps advancing. 2,000 years ago, it happened. And if it happened then, it can still happen in the culture we're living in today. So sometimes people ask, what is the church competing against? And we could have a big conversation about this. Because in some ways it feels like the church may be competing against Hollywood and literature and a number of other things. 
The church is competing against mixed allegiances and politics in Washington, and the list could go on. Today, what I want to lay before you is I think the church is competing against all of the stories in the world that are asking you to give their lives to those stories. But we need to come to Jesus believing that his story is worth giving our entire lives for. It's worth living into. It's worth living for. And if there's any way we can encourage you to live deeper into his story this week, around this room, you have people who love you, people who are ready to receive you, to pray for you, to entrust you and commend you to the grace of God for works of service. So I invite you to take advantage of some of these places to receive a blessing or a word from God. Over here to my right is Wayne Ray. If there's something you want to bring in front of this church or someone today who wants to give their lives to Jesus through confessing him as your Lord and being baptized into Christ, Wayne is here to receive you. Let's pray together before we sing this song. To our God, we pray, who is risked for us, and you don't ask us to do anything that you haven't already modeled for us. God, today in this room, this week, and the people in this room, will you dispense salvation, redemption, encouragement, edification, invitation? Will you challenge us? Remind us of the unstoppable gospel that's advancing in this world. And may we take great comfort in being uncomfortable in the things you're calling us to do. And God, if I've spoken any word this morning that has not honored your heart, your mission, your nature, may those words fall to the ground, be trampled by you, and bear no fruit at all. But if I've spoken any word this morning that's true to who you are and what you want of us, may those words sink deep into our hearts and bear great fruit this week. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Man, let's stand together. Let's sing.